Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the jar. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas, and uh, you're here today, so that meant that you got up this morning, so that's good. Uh, we're glad when you get up uh, in the morning on Christmas. Hey, if you guys would, there is a Connect card that was in your program, or for those of you on the stream, uh, you can fill it on, out on the app and would just encourage you to uh, do that. And when you're done, just pass it to the middle. In just a second, our greeters will come down and they will actually go ahead and pick those up. So uh, just want to weigh a chance to pray for you guys, uh, to encourage you. And uh, so hope that you can fill that out. If you have any prayer requests, uh, you can do that as well. So let's pray and then we'll jump into the teaching. Well, God, we uh, thank you so very much for your goodness to us. Thank you, God, for Christmas that we were able to um, be with friends and family and to celebrate that. And uh, God, thank you so much for our worship band that allowed us to come into your presence and to be reminded, God, that you are always working uh, even when we don't see it. And God, I know for some people, um, yesterday was an amazing day. They were so excited. Maybe for others, it was a tough day um, because they didn't have a loved one that was there. Or maybe it was just a tough day because there was some stuff with family that happened. But God, right now, we really want to hear from you. And we'd ask that you'd come through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, and move both within the auditorium and on the stream so that lives would be changed. God, we pray that you'd move now so that we would experience your presence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Shortly after my oldest daughter, Jordan, was born, I experienced a tiredness that I had never experienced before in my life. Um, part of that was because Jordan got her days and her nights mixed up. In other words, she would sleep all day and then she would stay up all night long. And uh, my wife, Jennifer, uh, just kind of had it. And she's like, you're going to have to take the night shift. I can't deal with this kid. And so uh, I did, and I tried to do my best to, uh, you know, care for her at night. And uh, there was only one time that I dropped her. So uh, that was good. You know, I mean, so if you think there's something wrong with Jordan, you know why. I dropped her. Um, but uh, outside of that, you know, what we experienced was an exhaustion that we had just never had before. Now, I wasn't surprised so much that I was tired um, because parenting is just a tiring business. But I was surprised by how tired I had become, and that's what actually scared me. You see, during the same time, the church was going through a growth spurt, and Jordan was going through her own growth spurt, and we weren't sleeping, but I was scared to slow down. My thought was that if I slowed down, my work would fail, and if my work fell behind, then the church might fall behind, and if the church fell behind, then I might never catch up. And so my thought process was I was scared to actually rest. You know, many of us, when it comes to our work, we are having this mindset that there's this anxiety-provoking belief that we have that it's all up to us. 
that in your workspace, whatever that is, it's all up to me. So this means that I can never rest. My mind's always thinking about work. I'm always focused on it. I mean, how could you do something about rest if what you're doing is all on you? So the question I want to ask us this morning is this, what keeps us from resting? What keeps us from resting? Well, first of all, when we approach work believing it's all about us, when we have a tendency to approach work, this is your first fill-in on the app or in the program, when we feel like it's all about us. Now, the reality is, though, uh, what keeps us from resting is not just work. But it can be fun as well. We just left a season in which our American culture has been saying to us, you need more. You just need more. Get more, get more, get more, get more. And there was a lot of more yesterday that we had all this more stuff. And some of you, you have this sense of you need more. And the problem is it doesn't stop at Christmas That temptation whispers throughout the rest of the year. You need more. You need more. You need more money. You need more power. You need more square footage. If you have a vehicle, you want more horsepower. You want more podcast. You want more streaming services. You just want more stuff. More and more and more. I just need more of the good stuff. Now... I may have listed something that wasn't on your list, but I guarantee every single one of you have a list of what you want more of. You have a list of the good stuff. That if you just had more of that, you would feel good. You wouldn't have to worry if you just had a little more. And the culture is constantly whispering to us, get more of the good stuff. Get some more of it. You see, many of us have a double kind of whammy that it's not just the good stuff, but we have something called FOMO. Do you know what FOMO stands for? The fear of missing out. I've got some of the good stuff, but the good stuff's not enough because maybe I'm missing out on something else. And so you have this fear that you're missing out on something else. In fact, research shows that 50%, so look at the person beside you for a second, those of you on the stream, and then look at the person on the other side of you, okay? One of those two people regularly have a sensation that they are missing out on some good stuff. Several years ago, our family decided to take a vacation to Disney World. This was before covid And we did it during, uh, right after Christmas. So during the Christmas time. You know what kind of family we were? An idiot family. Never go to Disney World around Christmas. And I'll tell you why. Because everyone goes there. Because it's the happiest place in the world. And it was so packed. I'd never seen this before. That they actually brought the suits out, all the executives that were up in their rooms, and they made them get in a line, and they all took a piece of rope in the middle of the pass so that the traffic flow would work. 
Well, in the midst of this, our kids were pretty young, and I was like, well, my kids are going to see everything. I don't care if there are all these people. I have this fear that we're going to miss out on something, so we're going to do everything. And so the first place we went to was the Frozen exhibit, where we went and saw Anna and Elsa. And we waited two and a half hours for this picture right here. Two and a half hours! You're standing there! And that's all you do. You just take these little tiny steps, just one after another. And finally we're done with that. And I'm like, my kids have to see small world. So you go to small world and you stand in small world. And then eventually you get away from small world. And you're like, Peter Pan. Folks, Peter Pan is the worst ride in the world, but people will stay forever. Why? Because it's Peter Pan. And so my kids are there. We're standing for Peter Pan. And you just keep doing all of this. And we did this this whole day. And like, Jen is exhausted. The girls are exhausted. But I'm like, we have still not seen the goofy roller coaster. We're going to the goofy roller coaster. And it's 1130 at night. It's 39 degrees. Everyone has left the park. We get to the goofy roller coaster. I'm like, there is nobody here. We're just going to keep doing it. So we did. We just kept going over and over and over till one o'clock at night. And you know why? Because I was afraid that there was going to be a fear of missing out, that I was not going to get the good stuff. And so I just kept doing more and more and more. And at the end of the night, we took a picture of our girls. I think we have a picture of them. And they weren't resting here. They were exhausted. They were just totally worn out. I mean, they were worn out. So, one thing is in our work world, it's all about us. The second thing is, why do we have a trouble resting? We fear missing out on the good stuff. And so we push and push and push and push. You know, before the Bible ever talks about love, before the Bible ever talks about forgiveness, before the Bible ever talks about prayer, it actually talks about rest. In Genesis chapter 2, we are given this account in which God creates everything, and he saw that it was good, and the scripture says, then he rested. And when we see that, sometimes, I remember the first time I studied this, I read this, and I was like, was God tired? Like, was he worn out? Now, those are good questions, honestly, to ask, but you should... Think about that a little bit longer. We'll talk about it at the end of the teaching. Now, beyond God just resting after six days of creation, then he took the seventh off, he also actually made one of the Ten Commandments. So he has ten, his top ten list, and he makes one of them about resting. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it says this, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Confession time for me. Guess what? I have not always kept the Sabbath. In fact, for much of my time, even as being a pastor, I didn't keep the Sabbath. I was about working. If we were going to fulfill the vision of the jar, if we were going to grow, we needed to work. And so it was all about working and working and working. And so I just didn't keep the Sabbath. It didn't make sense to me. Why would you do that? 
when you could be more productive. And honestly, out of all of the commandments, the one that I have disobeyed the most throughout my life is the fourth one, is that I haven't kept the Sabbath. And many times the reason is, is because I'll hear these whispers that it's all about me, that if, if, if work is going to happen, it's on my shoulders. And, and if I want more of the good stuff to happen within the church, then I just have to work more. Something, I don't know what it is, but it whispers to me regularly, you need more. If you just worked more, if you placed it all on you, then you would get it done. It's about you. In fact, for much of my life, I've simply been guilty of not Sabbathing. You know, it turns out, though, that the Bible actually has a lot to say about the Sabbath. Um. The Bible actually mentions the word love 310 times. And you read that and you're like, oh, that's amazing. That's a huge theme of the Bible. It also mentions the kingdom of God 162 times. So that's what Jesus talked about. That's what he preached about. It's important. But the Bible mentions rest 496 times. It actually mentions the Sabbath. 172 times. So if you add them both up, folks, there are verses where it is mentioned 668 times that God says it's important that you rest. So I thought as a Christmas gift to all of you, what we're going to do for the rest of our time, we're going to look at all 668 verses. You think I'm joking. No, I'm joking. Don't leave. Uh, Those of you on the stream, don't leave, okay. Um, No, no, no. But I do want to look at just a few verses this morning. And uh, the first one I want to look at is what Jesus actually had to say about rest. In Matthew chapter 11, we read these words. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you, what's the next word? Yeah, rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find, what's the word? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, I want to give you a picture of what a yoke looks like. It was a mechanical device that would be put around um, two oxen or two cows to be able to plow the field and there would be this distribution of weight placed upon them so that they would be going through it together at the same time. Now, what's interesting about this word yoke is that every rabbi used this term. They used this term to talk about their teaching or their preaching that there was this yoke, this heaviness that would be placed, that if you were going to follow that rabbi, that teacher, it would be a heavy load to carry. So it's not uncommon at all that Jesus actually then, because he was a rabbi, he was a teacher, he would have actually utilized that word yoke uh, as well. But it's interesting when Jesus talks about the yoke that he carries, it's not heavy, it's not burdensome. It actually says it was easy. So the question becomes then, why was Jesus' yoke 
easy. Now, Dallas Willard, who was a great Christian theologian, pastor, and writer, uh, encourage you to read anything of his, he suggests that when we think of this uh, mechanical device of a yoke, that we should think of it in these terms. He says the way that we should think about it is we should think of Jesus being on one side of the yoke and ourselves on the other side. But unlike the rest of the rabbi teachers who would place all kinds of restrictions and laws and teachings and all a kind of legalism upon the shoulders of their students, Jesus says that as you're going through this, that you're on one side, Jesus is on the other, but he takes on all the heavy lifting so that when you feel burdensome, when you feel overwhelmed, you don't have to worry about having to take half of the load of the yoke, that you actually are able to have something easy and light because the one who is walking beside you has taken on all of the weight. You don't have to carry it by yourself. You know, this image of Jesus being yoked with us is basically you and I are simply along for the ride. We don't have to do any of the heavy lifting. And he's carrying every burden that we might have, whether it's our work, whether it's our job, whether it's our family, whether it's something else in our life, that no matter where we're walking within this thing called life, we don't walk alone. There is another one who is in the yoke, but he is holding all the heavy burdens that we carry if we'll give them to him. Jesus is the one providing the power. We are simply placing our burdens on him as he carries them and we're along for the ride. You know, just like we want Jesus alongside when we're going through tough stuff, when we're going through life, when we're going through different areas of work and family and that kind of stuff. We also need to think about him walking alongside us when it comes to this whole idea of Sabbath. As I shared earlier, there were many years of my life where I just didn't obey the fourth commandment of remembering the Sabbath. And then I did a series on the Ten Commandments years ago. And when I did, the one commandment that convicted me the most was what it meant to observe the Sabbath. The the scripture says this, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Keep it set apart for God as you rest in Him. And I was so convicted by it, and I thought of that idea of the yoke, and I said, God, would you help me to learn how to obey the Sabbath? That I would actually learn how to rest in you. That I would practice resting regularly because that's what you command me. That's what you ask me to do. Will you teach me what real rest is all about? You know, the reality is, folks, you need regular rest for your body, for your mind, for your spirit. And if you're going to be a part of following Jesus, he regularly wants us to do this. In fact, Jesus practiced this all the time. They would be asking him, Jesus, we need you to go do this or that. And he's like, nah, I'm going up to the mountain and I'm going to rest and pray. I'm going to 
pray and rest. Regular rest, it turns out, when it comes right down to it, is a more productive way, folks, to actually live your life. When I was preparing for this uh, a couple of months ago, I saw a study where there are many companies now that are suggesting, and they're actually practicing it now, a four-day work week. So you work four days, and sometimes it could be eight or ten-hour days, but you work four, no more than 40, but you work four, and then after that, you're done. And what they found is, is that the workers are actually 40% more, think about that, 40% more productive with a four-day work week. So, on behalf of the elders of the Jar Community Church, take tomorrow off, okay? Just, just take it off. No, don't do that, okay? But many people have this tendency, well, we just, if we do more and more and more, and there finally comes a point, folks, where when you're doing more, you actually produce less, that when you do less, you actually produce more. Now, why is that so important? Because so many of you, and I know many of you, and I know your roles here in uh, levels of leadership or your management, and you work and you do so much, but many times you have this unhealthy belief, this unhelpful belief, it's all on me. It's all on my shoulders. And so you never disengage. You're just constantly thinking about it's all on me. And then in our personal lives, what we do is we walk through, and all of you that are students who are here, you do this all the time. You're always thinking, well, could I just have some more stuff? If I just had this, if I just had that. And you have this fear of missing out. I'm missing out on something. I've got to be doing something. And you're just spending more and more. And FOMO is just a part of so much of our current generation, the fear That we're not going to have something. We're going to miss out on something. And so what happens? We're always in a hurry. We're always busy. We're always doing stuff. And this is what I guarantee happened to many of you. You know why Christmas has been stressful and overwhelming for some of you? Because you haven't learned how to rest. And what happens is you finally have a couple of days where you're resting. You're like, oh, this ain't good. Let's get back in the line. Can we just get back in the line? And you go through this sense of, what am I missing out on? What am I missing out on? What am I missing out on? Folks, if you want to move beyond FOMO, if you want to move beyond it's all on my shoulders, we must practice rest. We must realize, check this out. This is going to blow some of your minds. It's going to be like, it's okay. To miss out on some stuff. It really is. It's okay to miss out on some stuff. In fact, this is what I'm learning more in this stage of my life right now. Sometimes when I miss out on stuff, it actually gives me opportunities to grow closer to God. When I miss out some stuff, I actually am able to grow closer to God. When I miss out on some things... I'm able to practice rest. Now, I told you that, uh, you know, was God tired? He worked six days and he took the seventh day off. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And this is what we read. 
God looked at everything that he made and it was very good. So the sky, the earth and all that filled them were finished. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So he what? What's the next word? He rested. He rested from all of his work. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, made it a holy day because on that day, what did he do again? He rested from all the work he had done in creating the world. Now, God goes after it for six days. He is working. He is doing everything he can to make things happen. Now, what's interesting about ancient culture, and for all of you that are like, I can't even get workers right now. Now you're telling everybody to rest. Thanks a lot, bunch. Now, for all of you, let me help you out here, because I did some research. So, in the culture of the ancient world, that was Bible times, there were eight, there ain't, I did that in the practice too, that's horrible. Uh, there were eight ancient gods. Don't lose me here on this. There were eight ancient gods. And guess what? None of them worked. None of them worked. They created human beings in every single one of those stories to work for them, to bring them wine, to bring them food, to bring them whatever. There is only one God in the ancient world who actually worked, and that was his story in, beginning, in the beginning of creation, and that was the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible got on his hands and knees and he worked and he worked. And this is what I want to say to some of you that may be lazy and you don't have a very good work ethic. One of the ways that we are closest to God is when we're working. Because he was a God who worked. He worked for six days, but then he took the seventh off. And for some of you... Your issue is the seventh day, and you're breaking a commandment, just like I did for much of my life, and that I still struggle with every once in a while. Not as much, but still do. And others of you, maybe it's work, but there is a sense that God understood you go after it, and then we take one day of rest. I looked at a study this week uh, that I thought was really interesting, actually when I was putting all this together. And they surveyed people who practiced the Sabbath, for their entire life, and then they had another group of people that didn't practice the Sabbath. And what the study showed is that the people that practiced the Sabbath lived 10 years longer. 10 years longer by simply saying, I'm taking one day and I'm pulling it away. Folks, resting, practicing the Sabbath, it's actually life-giving to you. I read a... uh, uh, author by the name of John Mark Comer. He's a pastor in Portland, Oregon. And he wrote this fantastic book. If you haven't read it yet, I'd encourage her, you struggle with this. He says, uh, it's the book titles, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he takes the book and he kind of expands what Sabbath should look like. And he says this, Expanding your understanding of Sabbath includes eating a burrito on the patio or drinking a bottle of wine with your friends over a long, lazy dinner or walking on the beach with your lover or your best friend. Do anything to move your heart toward grateful recognition of God's reality and goodness. That 
is Sabbath. Now, if some of you did not like that quote, remember, he's from Portland, Oregon, okay? (laughs) And, uh, you know, if you didn't like that, don't send me any hate mail. Send, Send something to him, all right? But... I love this concept that when we think of Sabbath, it's just like, I'm not going to do anything. It's about actually enjoying and being grateful and having life-giving moments with other people where you are alive and you're set free. A word that Jewish rabbis often use to capture this idea of Sabbath is the word delight. The Sabbath actually should be a day of delight. Whenever you think of Sabbath, you should think of a special day. I think about it in our own culture, like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter. We look forward to those days and we delight in them. And minus the family arguments, right? Like outside of that, he gives us this opportunity to have this each week. Now, this is what I know for many of you who are here and many of you that are on the stream right now. I know this as a fact that you are not going to start next week or at the beginning of the year having a whole day where you're Sabbathing, where you're pulling back. So what I want to encourage you is not to explore that, but to explore that one hour a week in 2020, you're actually going to pull back, maybe on a Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, you're going to take an hour and maybe you'd build up to two hours, maybe a day eventually, but you're actually going to pull back and you're going to take some time to rest. Now, what I'd like to do um, is for you to just think about that. What would it look like in the new year if you explored this concept of Sabbath or if you have kids that you just don't schedule everything so hectic. My, my kids are involved in so many things, and so we're constantly trying to be able to say, no, nope, we're not going to do that, because it's important to pull it back. So some things that we've done is tried to say, well, we're going to have dinner around the table uh, so many times during the week, because we want to do that. And on the weekend, we're going to have moments where we're going to connect. How do we do that? Whatever you do, experiment with something of how you can change your perspective. Now, what I'd like to do for the rest of our time is I'd like to give you some crib notes. Do you like crib notes? I talked to my daughter. She's like, I don't even know what a crib note is. I was like, you're just like your mother, you know? Like, I, I love crib notes. Crib notes were those notes, like when you had to read Romeo and Juliet, I didn't read it. I just got the crib notes, you know, and you just hope for the best. And so I'm going to give you some crib notes on Sabbath, to kind of end everything uh, with our time today. And the crib notes are basically three words, and you can fill uh, these in. The first word, if you want to go after this and practice this, it's the word cease. You simply put an hour or two, start there first, because you may not be able to do a whole day, but an hour or two a week, an hour or two a week where you actually stop. But this is what I want you to know. You've got to pick the time. I know some of you, you've got calendars up on calendar. Everything's in your phone. If you don't put this in your phone, guess what? It won't happen. If you don't choose the time, the time will never choose you. If you don't choose Sabbath, Sabbath will never choose you. Jesus put it this way. The Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. 
Folks, you've got to be intentional about picking a time and a day where you say, I'll cease. And if you have to start with just an hour or two, great. Do that at the beginning. The second crib note that I want to give you is the word rest. And we talked about that. How do we rest in God's presence? And for me, I really struggled with this for a really long time. And so I realized I had to create something on my calendar where I was going to rest. And so this is what I do. Whatever the last thing is that I do on Sunday, sometimes it's 1 o'clock, sometimes it's 4 o'clock, sometimes it's 6 o'clock, whatever that is, I stop right then. And I take 24 hours where I cease and I try to rest. Now, what does my rest look like? Well, I've got two kids. I've got a wife. I've got many other responsibilities. You've got to mow the yard every once in a while, those kind of things. So I'm not taking the whole day just going, oh, man. I love it. Chillaxing, baby. My wife walks in. Hey, what are you doing? Sabbathing. Well, get your butt to work. You know what I mean? And uh, so, again, but I, I have a mindset that whole day I'm not putting anything into my schedule. I don't schedule things. I don't do anything. I just try to hang out. And the, the one way that I rest with God in this time, I go up into our room. My kids will tell you this. They're like, yep, it's weird, but he does it. And I get in my lazy boy. I turn. I get a fan. I put a fan in our room. I turn the fan on. I lock the door. And then I read some scripture. Not that I'm trying to prepare on Sunday. But I read some scripture, and then I just try to rest in God's presence for 30 minutes. I just try to be quiet. I don't think anything. I just try to be there. And if God gives me anything, I journal it down. But it's just time between God and I. I'm not trying to prepare for a message. I'm not trying to think of some way to to do anything. I, I just rest in his presence. Now, maybe for some of you, you love music. Like, you love music. I know some of you. And what you could do is say, hey, I'm going to take an hour a week where I'm just going to listen to Christian music and I'm just going to chill. I'm going to do that. For others of you, you love nature. You love to walk outside to do that kind of thing. Well, go take a 30-minute walk. One of the things uh, that I encourage people all the time, go walk. Uh, You know, take a moment to just enjoy that. Maybe others of you, you're artistic. You love to paint. You love to draw. Whatever it is, you take some time to do that. Do whatever you need to do to allow yourself to rest enough that you're in the presence of God. And when the RPMs start to go down and the pressure starts to cease, then you can do something else. Now, this is what I want you to know. And for those of you on the stream, because some of you might be doing this right now. If you get really, really good at resting in the presence of God, guess what might happen to you? You'll fall asleep. And I've had, I can't tell you, multiple people will come up to me and go, man, I felt so bad I was praying and then I fell asleep. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad at all. One of the most spiritual things you can do sometimes for some of you because your schedules are so crazy is take a nap. Take a nap. Take a Sunday afternoon nap. You deserve a nap. Go nap. Chill. Enjoy. God won't be mad at you. Jesus did it all the time. He said, I'm done with all of you. I'm going up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to take a nap. That's what he did. So, you cease, you rest, and then finally, last crib note, you delight. You actually delight in something. And this is the trickiest one for some of you, especially some of you who are males, because you think, well, I shouldn't do that. That seems wrong. Like, I should be doing something. Uh, It seems like I shouldn't enjoy that time. I should, you know... 
should be doing something. But remember, God's actually stepped back on the Sabbath day and he looked at all the creation. He said it was good what I created, but then he delighted in it, but then he rested. You know, one of the things that my wife loves to do on her Sabbaths, which usually is on a Saturday or Sunday, she'll get her Kindle out and she'll just read a novel or she'll read something else. And when she's really relaxed and she's delighting, you can just see it on her face. She, she enjoys that. My mom, growing up as a kid, the thing that she loved to do was to oil paint. And when she was resting in the presence and she was delighting in God, she would be painting with that. Typically, uh, for me, on my Sunday to Monday, when I kind of do that, uh, the one thing I always do is I like to go on a run. Now, some of you might be like, run? You're an idiot. Nobody wants to run. Well, for me, running actually is a delightful thing. I enjoy it. It's great. And I like to run, and I'll look up at the sky. There's a beautiful kind of sunset uh, or sunrise a couple of Mondays ago, and I was running. I was like, ah, so gorgeous. And sometimes I'll start running and I'll close my eyes and I'll just run and feel the spirit and the presence. And so if I'm running and you see me, don't hit me. Okay. Don't hit me. But, but that's one of the things I like to do. And then, uh, when it's not real cold and we live uh, on the back of the woods, I'll pick up sticks and, uh, I put those in different places and, and burn them up. And that kind of relaxes me. I enjoy that. And, And sometimes when I'm really manly, Like when I'm really manly, I get out the chainsaw and I'll go in the back and I'll start cutting up some stuff. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm doing that. On those days, my wife does not read. She prays. She just prays and prays. But but all of a sudden what happens is I get this energy for myself for the rest of the week. There's something that happens. It fuels me for the upcoming week. Because I took some time to rest. So let me ask each of you, what is it that you delight in and what could you do at the start of the year to say whether it's an hour or two a week, whatever that is, and build it up? I'm going to take some time to do that. You know, yesterday I was uh, thinking about what most of us probably were doing And we probably had a Christmas tree, and underneath that tree were all of these presents that were wrapped. And the joy of every Christmas is when you pass those out, and people get to unwrap them, and you see everything in their eyes because they get to unwrap to get. I was thinking about this, that each Christmas, each week actually, God gives us a gift. And each week, He wants us to unwrap it, but many of us ignore it week after week after week, and we never take the time to unwrap this gift. And do you know what the gift is? It's the Sabbath. It's a gift that he has underneath the tree for you to unwrap every single week, a gift for you. And yet we'll go through that and we won't. So what I'm challenging you to is don't walk out of here feeling guilty like, oh, yep, that's me. No, no, no. 
go into the new year, 2022, and say, for one hour on a Friday or on a Saturday or on a Sunday, I'm going to actually pull back and I'm going to cease. And I'm going to rest. And I'm going to delight spending some time in a restful way, on a Sabbath way, with God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the gift of Sabbath. Help us, God, this year to really consider how could we set aside some time to learn how to cease and rest. I know, God, for some people in this place, they've never really practiced Sabbath. They've not had a Sabbath minute, let alone a Sabbath hour or two or a day. It's just constantly kind of go, go, go. What's the next thing? Always in a hurry. And Christmas comes and we're like, we finally slow down, but then it's difficult because we're just not used to it. And part of that, God, is because we are already thinking about work on Monday or this next week or if we're off this week, the week after that, and it's constantly in our mind. And then we have this fear that we're going to miss out on the good stuff if we're not constantly on the go. And I know, God, because you've convicted me in this area in my own life, that you really do want us to change in this way. So I just want to ask you right now, this is just between you and God. This is not making some huge, big commitment, but just saying that starting in the new year, I want to actually practice at least one hour a week where I'm going to cease and rest and delight in God. And with no one looking around, if uh, that's you, with each head bowed, if that's you, like, I want to do this, I really do, just between you and God, would you just raise your hand right now and say, yep, that's me. I really want to start exploring that in the new year. Let me pray for you. Loving God, help each person here know that when they take some Sabbath time, That it's not going to be wasted time, but you're going to actually fill their tank in ways that they can't even imagine. Give them strength right now, God, to put this into their schedule. A time where they practice rest and they allow you to fill them with that. God, help them this week not to leave that gift under the tree, but to unwrap the gift of Sabbath and to delight in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can put your hand down. You know, for some of you, uh, both on this stream and maybe in this place as well, you're anxious and overwhelmed all the time and you're not resting at all, not only sleep, but just resting with God because you don't have a relationship with Him. And so, If today maybe is a day where you're like, I need him in my life. I need this new calibration in my life. I need this newness. I I need to know that he's with me. He's for me. 
For some of you, you have a void right now in your life, and that void is that you don't have a relationship with God. And so right now, for those of you that are on the stream, you can just type in right now, I want the rest of God. I want his rest in my life. I want to rest in God. And for those of you here in the auditorium, if today's the day where you're like, I'm ready to rest in him, I need his presence, I need his forgiveness, I need his love, I need a new chance in him, then I'm going to invite you in a prayer. But it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself, but it's one that we pray together in unity. And so let's pray. Repeat after me. God, thank you for sending Jesus over 2,000 years ago to save my life. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.